I was thinking this week as we were thinking about this passage of Scripture, have you ever had a vision? I won't ask you to raise your hand because just won't, but I've never really had a vision. I've met some people who have had visions, and some of them, well, some of them had some very strange visions, and I think it was as a result of some other things rather than God. But the, the amazing thing is that today when we read this passage of Scripture, it's a vision of John. The last place that our Lord Jesus Christ is seen on earth is on this island of Patmos where the, this man John had this incredible vision and he writes it down for us. And it's written in the last book of the Bible, the book that you've heard of before, Revelation. And we're going to read today from the 21st chapter. And I know that I read from this very passage in the very first sermon of the year this year, but this is a different sermon, and I want us to focus on a couple of different things. So if you have your scriptures with you, you can turn to Revelation chapter 21, and we'll look at what precisely it is that John has to say to us about the vision that he had. And this is John's vision in Revelation 21. Then... I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself shall be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done, for I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son or daughter. This passage promises us something. And I know that when any of us hear the word promise, sometimes we think back to those promises that weren't kept, those people who promised us something, and then when it came time for the promise to be delivered on, they didn't really keep it. But this promise is made to us by God in writing, and so we can absolutely depend on it. And I wanted for us today to think very quickly about what kind of promises this passage makes, particularly what kind of promises this passage makes about heaven. I think there are many promises, but I'm going to focus on three today. Three things that you can know that when we get to the new heaven and the new earth, three things that will absolutely be true. The first promise that you see there is that God will be God. You notice in verse 3, the text says to us, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. There are really two different versions of heaven, neither one of them entirely correct. One of the versions of heaven is the version put forward by people like A.W. Tozier. You may have heard of him or read something that he has written. 
Tozier seemed to think that heaven is one gigantic, long worship service. And I remember reading that when I was a kid and thinking, oh, I'm not sure I want to go there. (laughs) And if you're an introvert, you kind of know that when you've been among a group of people, you kind of got to get away and say, everybody leave me alone for a little while because I don't really like people. And there's this, there's this sense in which I thought, even as a kid, having all those people around me for all the time, that's going to be, I, I don't know. I, I wish there were another place that I could go besides hell, because I knew I didn't want to go there. But this, this worship service of eternal length, it just didn't seem to me to be that calling. And, but there's another sort of other end of the spectrum, while Tozier says heaven will be this giant long worship service, Luther doesn't exactly say this, but he seems to intimate it, that it'll be one long sitting around a table drinking beer with one another. Not so sure that's right either. Since I really don't like beer, I'm not that attracted to that one. Since I really don't like people, I'm not sure I want to sit around a table with them for eternity. And I think that the truth is, Tozier's going to have to loosen up a little bit and realize that it's not just one long worship service, that there are other wonderful things. And Luther's going to have to tighten up a little bit and realize that it's not just one long drinking binge, that it's more than that. But the thing that we know more than anything else is that God will be there with us. And that's an amazing thing when you think about it. In the very first chapter of Matthew, when Jesus is born, there's this prediction to Mary. He says, you will, you will give birth to a son and you will call his name Jesus, God, meaning God is with us. I remember years ago, my systematic theology professor, Dr. Raymond, some of you might have known him. He said one day in class, he said, do you realize what that means, God with us? He said, you know, I can understand God against us. I can understand God is angry with us, but God with us, that I will never be able to understand. That's the amazing thing about this new heaven and new earth, that we who have spent much of our lives doing things that we shouldn't have, we who've spent much of our lives really sinning against God, that despite all that, God will be with us. But there's a second thing that this passage promises us about heaven. It's not just that God will be God, but it's also, secondly, and you'll notice here, sadness will be gone. You'll notice in the fourth verse, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. One of the interesting things, and I've been thinking about this since my daughter's getting married, one of the interesting things about ancient Greek comedy is that almost all Greek comedy of the ancient kind ends in a wedding. And there's a reason for that. It's a part of the genre. Comedy starts with all kinds of things going wrong, and then finally at the end, a wedding happens. And when the wedding happens, it's a symbol that everything is right with the world. It's the same sort of thing we have, ha- you, you, you have today, right? I mean, let's face it. 
Shrek has to go on this track and he has this stupid donkey with him and he argues with the donkey and then he meets this beautiful girl and we know in our hearts that there's no way in the world ever that this ugly ogre could ever get this beautiful girl and yet that's the tension that we feel. He seems to be inevitably drawn toward the beautiful girl and yet all of us watching the movie know that Shrek will never get the girl. And then she's almost ready to be married to someone else. But in, finally, in the end, Shrek gets Fiona. And at the end of that, we know everything's right with the story. There are lots and lots of examples like that. I'm sure that all of you could multiply them time and time again. That Wesley gets Buttercup. The end of the Princess Bride. There's this marvelous thing that happens and the wrong wedding has been broken up and the real wedding happens. It tells us that everything is right with the world. And that's what this passage is telling us. It's telling us that there will come a day when everything will be right with the world. You see, Christianity doesn't deny the problem of evil. Christianity will never tell you that there aren't really evil things. And there aren't really bad things that happen to us. Christianity will tell you right in the Bible that death is a terrible enemy. But Christianity also tells us that death will ultimately be destroyed. Christianity doesn't deny the problem of evil. It it looks it square in the face and it says there's coming another time, a new heaven and a new earth. And on that day, when the new heaven and the new earth comes, then death will be no more. That's the amazing thing that the text is teaching us. It's teaching us that this world is not what we were made for. You remember C.S. Lewis. He told us that when we desire something, it's indicative of the fact that we were made for that. When we get hungry, it's because we were made to eat. And when we get thirsty, it's because we were made to drink. And when we go underwater and we're we're striving for air, it's because we were made to breathe air. And he said the fact that we desire a better world than this one is indicative of the fact that we were made for a better world than this one. And that world is the world that John sees and that God promises to us here in this text. He's saying to us, I know that this is a world where there are all kinds of problems, but there's a better world coming. The second promise that this this text makes to us is that there will be an end to all of the sadness that exists. That's That's the great comedic theme of the Bible, that ultimately God puts everything right. It's not an accident that the last book of the Bible ends with a wedding. You see, it's comedic. One of the interesting things about ancient comedy, and it's not the same as modern comedy, but it's sort of like that because everything comes together in the end. One of the things interesting is that the guy who gets the girl at the end is this Greek term, he's called a poneros. He's a guy who's just a loser, pretty much. He's Shrek, bumbling around, yelling at the donkey, doesn't know what's going on. And if there's anyone who's ever going to be able to put everything right, it's certainly not that guy. He's sort of this Charlie Chaplin-like character who goes bumbling around and you just don't know what's going to happen. And yet the amazing thing is, 
that despite the fact that this character is a bumbler, despite the fact that this character doesn't look as if he could ever set everything right, in the end he does. And you see, that's the gospel. The gospel is that God sent his son 2,000 years ago. He was born in a little tiny town, in a little tiny country, and there were not that many people that knew about him. And yet, despite all that, despite the fact that he was crucified by the Roman government, despite the fact that it seemed as if he would never be able to put everything right, the amazing thing is that after he died, he rose again and everything is right with the world one day because of that resurrection. That's the amazing message of the gospel. And that's the third promise that this, that this passage makes to us. It makes this promise that not only God will be God, not only sorrow will be gone, but finally, and most importantly, it makes the promise that Jesus will be there. You see that in the fifth and the sixth verses. He was seated on the throne and he said, behold, I am making all things new. Then eventually he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The most important thing that we can ever realize about heaven is that Jesus will be there. And that's the reason that we can be there. We can't be there because we've done a lot of good things. Certainly I can't. We all like to pretend like we've done a lot of good things. We like to act like we have it all together. We like to act like we dressed ourselves and know what matches and all those kind of things. But truthfully, my wife had to set these clothes out for me before she left. (laughs) One time I was at a conference and my wife had set all the clothes out and I dropped my garment bag and all of them got mixed together and it was not good. (laughs) When she saw a picture, she was very upset. I figured cowboy boots and shorts, what's the big deal? But, you know, apparently that's not good. The truth is that no matter how well we dress and no matter how well we make ourselves look, we all know deep down inside we don't deserve to be with God. But the message of the gospel is that Jesus, that ultimate one who puts everything right, he came down and he became a part of us. And it's an amazing, amazing thing. You see, the truth of the matter is, there are lots of people who would tell you that they know what's going to happen in the future. There are economists who will tell you how you should invest. There are psychics who will tell you who you should marry. There are all kinds of people who will tell you what the future is going to be. But you know, the truth of the matter is, if you put all those people end to end, they would never reach a conclusion because they're really not sure. They don't know. The New Testament theologian N.T. Wright, he said this. He said, all speaking about the future is a group of people talking about what's ahead in the fog. We don't know. We don't know what's ahead in the fog. We just can't see. We can make guesses, and some people are better at guessing than others. But the truth of the matter is, we don't know. But then N.T. Wright says, what if there was a person who came back out of the fog and said, I'll tell you what it's like, because I've been there. 
That, you see, is what Jesus Christ has done for us. He has come out of the fog to tell us that one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth prepared for us. And that's a promise that you can believe because he was indeed resurrected. The new heaven and the new earth is what you were built for. It's what you were made for. It's what your deepest desires are. Our deepest desires know that there ought to be something better than just death. And you know, other religions will tell you, well, death is inevitable. Do all that you can to make your life mean something. And then you die. Other religions will tell us that death is natural. Don't fear it because it's natural. But it's not. George Herbert, in one of his poems, a famous poet, he said, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him a gardener. And that, you see, is what the gospel is really all about. It's about taking all of those fears that we have of death and bundling them up and burying them because they don't mean anything anymore. Winston Churchill famous statesman, planned his own funeral. Kind of a macabre thing to do, I suppose, but he wanted to make sure that it was the way he wanted it. And there were in St. Paul's Cathedral an amazing liturgy, wonderful songs praising God and Christ. And then after they said the benediction at Churchill's funeral, there was There was a bugler in the high up dome of St. Peter's Cathedral on one side. And after the benediction, the bugler began to play taps. You've heard it. It's an incredibly sad song. It's a song telling us the day is over and that everything that we've done is finished and it's gone. That's a sad way to end a funeral. That at the end of the funeral, taps is played, and the day is over, and that's all there is. Then after the bugler finished, there were a few minutes of silence. Then another bugler on the other side stood up and began to play at the top of his lungs, reveille, reveille the sound of this is the morning and there's a new beginning. And it was Churchill's way of communicating to everyone who was there, while it might be good night here, it might be death here, it's good morning up there. That's the amazing message of the gospel, that we one day will be able to live with God, that we will be able to live with His Son, Jesus Christ, that the stone table has been broken, and that the Lion of Aslan is the Lamb of God who has died for us. And let every other religion tell you that you don't have to be afraid of death because it's natural. It's not natural, it's our enemy. Let every other religion tell you that you don't have to be afraid of death because it's, it's harmless. It's not harmless. But Christianity can tell you, you don't have to be afraid of death, not because it's natural, not because it's harmless, but because it is defeated. And the day that Jesus Christ, 
The day that Jesus Christ rose up out of the tomb, he said, I am the resurrection, I am the life, and he stands there today to promise us. He promises us that death is defeated, that God has come out of the fog, and he's turned the executioner into a gardener. And that is good news indeed.